1: Thank you for standing by and welcome to the Home Capital Group Second Quarter Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0 for the operator. I will now like to hand the conference over to Ms. Jill McRae of Investor Relations. The floor is yours.
0: Thank you, Sylvia, and good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. I know you have a busy earnings calendar right now. We'll begin the call with remarks from Yusri Basada, President and Chief Executive Officer, followed by a review of our financials by Brad Kodesh, Chief Financial Officer. With us on the call to answer your questions are Ed Cardhouse, EVP of Sales and Marketing, Mike Forshi, EVP of Underwriting and Funding, Benji Katchen, Chief Digital and Strategy Officer, David Clough, Chief Risk Officer, Victor D'Arizio, Chief Information Officer, and James Pelletier, SVP of Commercial. All of our team members are at different physical locations for this call, so please understand if our sound quality and response time are not at their usual level. Before we begin, I'd like to caution our webcast participants that discussion during this call may contain forward looking statements about home capital strategies and expected financial results. Various factors could cause actual results to differ materially from those contained in these forward looking statements. Accordingly, the audience is cautioned against undue reliance on these remarks. Please refer to our advisory on forward looking statements on slide two of the investor presentation. Finally, a link to the slides accompanying this live webcast is available on our website at homecapital.com. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Sri.
2: Thank you and good morning. I'm pleased to welcome you to our second quarter results conference call. I'm happy to report that this was a quarter of growth for us at Home Capital. We grew our net income and our net income per share, both on a sequential and a year-over-year basis. We accomplished this even while we were prudently added to our credit allowance to account for deterioration since Q1 in our forward-looking economic models as a result of COVID-19. Today we have another quarter of COVID experience behind us and we're beginning the process of cautious reopening across the country. We're able to do that thanks to the coordinated efforts of our political leaders, government agencies and health professionals working together to keep the health of Canadians as the most important consideration in the reopening policies. We believe that focusing on long-term objectives and putting people first is the right strategy for this country to see this crisis through to the end and beyond. Focusing on long-term stakeholder objectives, including putting our customers and our people first, is how we operate at Home Capital. Today, I will discuss what we accomplished in Q2, our efforts at supporting our borrowers through financial uncertainty, and our activities for the balance of the year. Beginning with our Q2 results, home capitals, net income grew on a sequential and year over year basis. I think it is significant that we were able to grow earnings even after taking a larger than historical credit provision. As Brad will discuss in more detail, The increased provision was not driven by a decline in the quality of our loan book, but by a deterioration in our forward-looking economic models for the second quarter compared with the first quarter. If you look at our pre-provision income, it was substantially higher than the same quarter last year. We also reported year-over-year improvement in our efficiency ratio and return on equity. In all our major markets, the local real estate boards are reporting higher sales volume, higher prices, and more new listings. After some slow spring sales, the recent Toronto Real Estate Board data reported the highest recorded sales for the month of July in the past 10 years. This kind of activity is possible to manage in this environment because the industry is finding ways to use technology and safe contact measures in all phases of the home buying process. Brokers, realtors, lawyers, inspectors, buyers, and sellers, everyone is working together to enable home purchases to happen. A lot of businesses have slowed down during this time of shutdown, but ours is not one of them. I could not be prouder of our industry, our partners, our people, and the work we all do to help Canadians find and purchase their homes. Here at home, I'm pleased to report that we grew our originations this quarter compared with 2019 with growth in both our residential and commercial lending. This says as much about the importance of what we do as it does about our success in doing it and it is evidence of a market that has stayed healthy and resilient despite despite all the predictions to the contrary. Importantly, we have achieved this growth in a quarter where we had adjusted our risk appetite in line with the prevailing conditions of financial uncertainty, that is, more cautious underwriting. Our Oaken deposits continued to grow in dollar value and as a percentage of our deposit funding. This growth took place in a quarter when our Oaken stores were closed. Over time, and as local health authorities permit, we plan to reopen our Oaken stores. It has always been our strategy to put the wishes of our customers first and serve them the way they want to be served. Some customers still prefer the personal experience of in-store service, and we'll be happy to offer that again,
3: in addition to our phone and online options. Another aspect of our operations has not changed.
2: It is our commitment to our digital transformation.
3: We are moving forward
2: with Home Trust's IGNITE program. All our project teams have successfully adapted to remote work environment and projects are moving forward. We launched a new CRM release with improved sales reporting and loan servicing functionality for all our contact center and launched two additional IGNITE projects, Digital Banking and Loan Origination. The progress we have made so far has given us the flexibility to adapt to a work-from-home model and still provide high levels of privacy and security to our customer data. This flexibility made it possible to increase our quality of service to our brokers and borrowers, even while meeting high volumes of customer requests. I look forward to sharing developments with you. Turning to the subject of our customer support measures during this health crisis, It is now nearly six months since the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 to be a global pandemic. From the beginning, we made it our top priority to provide help and support to our people, our partners, and our customers. You can see from the results we are reporting today that people still want to own homes and not even a global health crisis has changed that. As As we reported in our last quarterly update, Home offered payment deferrals on over 9,000 loans, totaling nearly $4 billion in asset value or 23% of our loan portfolio as of April 30th. As of July 31st, those figures have declined to fewer than 3,000 loans and less than $1.3 billion or roughly 7.5% of our loans. And we expect to continue to see a decline in the deferrals brad will talk about the numbers later in the call but i want to tell you a little bit about the process and how it ties with our unique value proposition in the early days of the shutdown people feared for the security of their homes even as they depended on their homes for isolation and safety our response was we are here to help home gave two months payment deferrals to any borrower whose account was in good standing and who told us that they had been impacted by the pandemic we were happy to do that home was able to pivot from not only helping Canadians own
3: their homes to helping people keep their homes beyond the initial two months we followed a different process
2: borrowers were required to file a new application for relief we looked at the financial picture of each customer educated them on the impact of different relief options and work with them to determine the best way forward. In some cases, that meant additional deferral support. For some borrowers, it meant adjusting their payments. In other cases, we helped them understand that it was not in their best interest to take additional debt and counsel them on how to find ways to return to regular payments. In these extraordinary circumstances, we can serve our customers best by listening to their stories and helping them make the best decisions for their unique situations. The two month approach gave us the opportunity to support our customers when they needed it most, but also the opportunity to gain valuable insight in our customers' borrowers in our borrowers' ability to repay before granting additional relief we believe the economic environment in which we find ourselves will create an ongoing need for individual lending solutions and we have the experience to meet that need.
3: Now looking ahead to the balance of the year. The latest data on sales activity and housing prices
2: are consistent with a healthy and resilient real estate market. Our people have shown that they can execute effectively in this environment and we are confident they will continue to do so. We will move ahead with our plans for reopening our workspace while committing to our employees, they will be able to return safely. And we're proceeding with our strategy for digital transformation through our Ignite program. In the event of a second wave of the pandemic, we are now even more well-equipped to face these unique challenges and continue to operate our business with agility, resiliency, and integrity. COVID-19 has created a lot of disruption to the economy and to our business. While we look forward to an eventual recovery, we can't be certain of its timing and magnitude. We are using this period of restricted operations as an opportunity for learning and development. The deferral programs that we put in place have been an opportunity to have meaningful conversations with our borrowers, to listen to their stories and learn how we can best help them. Remote working has given us opportunities to engage with our employees and to learn more about what they need to carry on the important work we do. We are engaging with brokers and learning how we can be a better partner to them. We're able to make use of this opportunity because we had all the elements in place to function successfully before the health crisis began to affect all our lives. We had and continue to have a strong capital position, abundant liquidity, a sustainable risk culture underlying all our interactions, a culture that emphasizes service excellence,
3: and an unparalleled group of team members who are dedicated to the important work we do. I will now ask Brad to discuss our financial results. Thanks, Yusree, and good morning, everyone. We appreciate you taking the time to join us.
4: The presentation on our financial results begins on slide seven. As Yusri mentioned, we've made significant efforts over the past three years to allow our business to perform in any conditions. The fact that we are navigating a global pandemic with a strong balance sheet and ample liquidity to support our customers is evidence of the success of that effort. Our people, capabilities, values, and sustainable risk culture have been put to the test and the results have shown the resilience of our business model. We are pleased to report diluted earnings per share were $0.65 on a reported basis and $0.70 on an adjusted basis, an increase of more than 20% relative to both last quarter and the same quarter last year. Net income also grew on both a sequential and year-over-year basis. Our Q2 net income grew by 23% over Q1 and by 7% over Q2 of 2019. On an adjusted basis, net income grew by 23% over Q1 2020 and by 5% over Q2 2019. The growth in net income that we reported this quarter is all the more significant because we achieved it in a quarter in which the majority of our team was working remotely and it, t- it took sizable provisions to strengthen our balance sheet against forecasted deteriorating economic conditions. Slide 8 breaks down some of the components of that growth. You will see that net income per share this quarter was helped by improved net interest margins and by a lower number of shares outstanding. You can also see our credit provisions in the quarter reduced our earnings per share on a relative basis by $0.18. Cents. Slide nine shows our originations for the quarter. We increased our originations in both residential and commercial mortgages. Lower volumes in the alternative market were more than offset by higher accelerator volumes. Commercial volumes grew by 60% over last year. Slide 10 shows our total loan portfolio with growth of 3% year over year, broadly in line with the market. As you can see on slide 11, we adjusted our risk appetite at the end of Q1 which resulted in tighter underwriting standards. The impact on our portfolio is evident with a higher FICO score this quarter on new originations compared with Q1 and by a higher FICO score on the overall portfolio. Slide 12 shows the progress of our net interest margin which reached 2.4% this quarter compared with 2.38% last quarter and 2.09% in the same quarter last year. This quarter NIM was enhanced by higher yield on loans and lower deposit costs, but it was also negatively impacted by a higher average volume of low yielding liquid assets on the balance sheet relative to Q1. Despite the drag on our NIM, we continue to hold a substantial volume of liquid assets on our balance sheet. We believe this is a correct strategy for an economic environment which is still uncertain. Another aspect of our liquidity risk management shows through in the management of our Oaken channel on slide 13. We continue to attract deposits to Oaken which has now reached over $3.7 billion, over 26% of our total deposit funding. 84% of those deposits are in the form of term deposits. Turning to a discussion of customer deferrals and credit beginning on slide 14. During our Q1 call, we reported that we had granted payment deferrals on over 9,900 loans representing over $3.9 billion principal balance as of April 30th. As of July 31st, loans under deferral had declined by 73% to under 2,700 loans and the principal value of the loans under deferral declined by 67% to approximately $1.3 billion. On slide 15, you can see we took additional credit provisions of $18.7 million this quarter. The provisions were related to a deterioration in the economic outlook over the life of those loans. Details on our models are on page 53 of the notes to our financial statements. In all scenarios, unemployment is not expected to return to pre-COVID levels until 2022. All scenarios are forecasting a decline in housing prices over the next 12 months. Although the latest data on the Canadian housing market shows it to be active, this has not yet been incorporated in the economic models behind our credit provisioning decisions. Write-offs during the quarter remain modest at two basis points of assets, even under these conditions, underscoring
3: the quality of our loans and our security. As you can see on slide 16, Net non-performing loans are stable at 0.42% of gross
4: loans and 0.37% of gross single-family residential loans. The right-hand chart tells you that Stage 3 loans were 31% covered by Stage 3 allowances at the end of Q2 versus 24.3% at this time last year. Looking at the components of our allowance for credit losses on slide 17 and 18, you can see that we increased our allowances for expected credit losses in residential, commercial and consumer retail lending. As we mentioned earlier, 94% of the increase this quarter was attributable to stage one and stage two loans that are currently performing. If economic conditions evolve in a way that is consistent with the predictions and the credit loss models, subject to any other unexpected changes, our current level of provisions are expected to be sufficient to cover expected losses. If future conditions are forecast to be worse in the scenarios in our models, initial, additional provisions are expected to be required. If the future is more favorable than the models are predicting, it is reasonable to expect that a portion of the credit allowance will be reversed back into earnings. Slide 19 illustrates our liquidity risk management with a high volume of liquid assets supported by a high volume of near-term maturities. Slide 20 discusses some of the additional funding and liquidity options available to the company. Access to multiple sources of liquidity as required by our sustainable risk culture has never been more important than in this time of crisis. Finally, as you have come to expect, our capital and leverage ratios are comfortably in excess of regulatory requirements. This quarter we added 75 basis points to our CDT1 capital through our normal
3: operations. And now I will turn the call back over to Street, for closing remarks. Thank you Brad. I began this call by talking about putting people first and making decisions
2: based on long-term objectives. This approach to our operations is fundamental to our sustainable risk culture and our value of protect our home. It is during unprecedented events like this that we can truly take stock of what is important for us it is helping canadians achieve their dream of owning and protecting their home although the future is uncertain i am confident that we have the right strategy and resources to come through even stronger than before
3: i now turn it over to the operator for questions
1: ladies and gentlemen if you would like to ask a question Please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypads. Again, to ask a question, please press star one on your telephone keypads. We'll pause for just a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Sahan Tunke from Oh, Hi, team.
5: Uh, Good morning. Just wanted to dig in a little bit more on the NIM. Brad, could you talk to how those dynamics between your, your spreads that you're getting have, have changed, you know, between um, Q2 and what we've seen so far in Q3? Are those spreads maintaining or like on your, on your mortgage rates and deposits or um, uh, and potentially is there anything you can do to lower your
3: deposit rates even further going forward? Thanks, Jen. Um, I think the deposit rates are, um,
4: in particular on the deposit boards, are, are competitive, and we have seen them decline. It, it's hard to predict if they've they've actually hit bottom. I think the Bank can't. Well, I know the Bank of Canada has talked about what their expectations are in overall rates. So um, while we may see some decreases, uh, it, it's unlikely that we will see the rapid decline uh that was apparent over the last quarter uh the um but we haven't seen a a decrease in in the spreads that we're able to earn um for the past month uh we hope to be able to continue that but again with competitive pressure uh in particular we're we're seeing more on uh the uh, uh, near prime run insured space uh, we are still uh, working on maintaining uh, our spread on those. Again, that's competitive, but uh, we have not uh, seen a, a decline in um, spreads
5: uh, since the last quarter. Thanks, Brad. And, and maybe just um, a follow-up to that. You know, it seems that sentiment overall has picked up somewhat from from where we were several months ago. How do you think about where your deposit levels are today, um, and just overall liquidity position? It looks like that was a little bit of a drag on on NIM performance for the quarter. Just wondering how you think about um, liquidity going forward, or, or rather, any changes to your um, sentiment on liquidity now versus where you were in Q2. Uh, I,
4: I agree with your statement. I think people are are feeling um, I'll say more confident and uh, we have, uh, we are carrying lower levels of liquidity than we had uh, at the beginning of uh, Q2. Okay,
5: thank you. And maybe just one last follow up question, if I could sneak one more in. It looks like there was an uptick in the efficiency ratio. Um, Just wondering um, if you can talk about, if there's any other levers you can pull on the expense side in the back half of the year um, and then maybe also just go over why that uh, efficiency ratio number went higher for the quarter. Um,
4: sure, I'll I'll continue on. Uh, the The last quarter um, we had uh, increased or we made a, a provision uh, for legal contingencies that was under $10 million that that helped uh, drive up uh, our non-interest expenses and uh, we do expect to see some increased or we're forecasting some increased activity in relation to our ignite program which uh, covers our sap re-implementation as well as digital initiatives we think to uh, invest in the company for the long term so we do think that uh, we will see uh, higher uh, levels of of non-interest expense relative to q1
3: but uh, slightly lower than we saw in Q2. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Jeff Kwan with RBC Capital
1: Markets.
4: Hi, good morning. Um, Just a question on the deferrals, and based on how you're describing how you're handling it, would it be accurate to say that the current deferral balance outstanding would represent people who are let's call it truly having financial difficulty and therefore not using deferrals for financial
3: flexibility uh, um, I, I sorry go ahead sorry you, bad, go ahead uh, hey
2: jeff first of all so probably we'll both answer uh a little bit as i mentioned in my comments uh, every deferral we've now talked to every client and understand the situation and offered a number of options and as um, as you can see the number of deferrals have co- has come down significantly uh so the ones who are still there are are, are people who um are having more difficulty even though it's a, a smaller uh, portion but we are somewhat comforted in that on average of the deferrals the loan-to-value is still in the low 60s, 62 63%, and that their FICO scores are around 700. Um, it, it's, it slightly differs for excel, what we call accelerated A product versus the classic, but very close, around 700. So we're working through it. We keep giving them um, options. We understand these are, um, uh, as I say, case-by-case uh, basis, and uh, we do expect it's going to continue to go down as we help them uh, work through it. Short of a second wave of unemployment or COVID, but just the way it is going at the at the moment. Uh, Brad, any anything to
4: add? Uh, no, Yusri, I think that uh, uh, that was responsive to the question. Okay,
1: and and I guess
4: I'm I'm trying to understand, you know, if you have a situation where, um, you know, someone's lost their job, and if you completely ignored what their credit score was, for example, what the loan to value. Uh, on on the mortgage would be. Um, but in, in your assessment that this person would likely still be delinquent after six months if you were to do that, how are you treating them? Are you still willing to extend them the six months if needed? Or um, if you have that view, like I said, that you think they're going to go delinquent regardless, uh, would you be looking to um, try to deal with that sooner?
2: Um, so, uh, you know, we, first of all, would look at a number of options, you know, we could increase amortization, which would reduce the payment. You know, there's a number of things we would do, but we are act a bit of like their financial uh, consultant. I mean, if the mortgage or sees there is no out and they're not going to get employed and they're going to employed for a while yet at the same time, they have 62 or 63, percent loan to value there's a good chance the market is still very capable that they'll sell to get out of the debt and take what they've got um so back to the way you've asked the question i, I mean we can defer longer it's an option for us we wouldn't get the relief that the regu- reg- regulators have allowed uh for sort of this period of up to six months starting back in march we wouldn't get the relief it looks like any other arrears, and then we would work it as we would In the regular process Um, eventually the mortgage owner will be able to recover and pay back and or capitalize what's been deferred have a larger mortgage and you know because they're employed pay back from then. and the worst and absolute last case is they sell the home or we help them sell the home to to get out does that answer it jeff Uh, the options yeah yeah sorry jeff if i
4: can just, just to sort of the, the initial part of your question, you were mentioning six months. Um, we've never granted six-month deferrals. We've only gone um, a maximum of two months. So we expect to have a lot, as Yusri said, like we expect to have a lot of resolution um, uh, in in the credit situation of, of the deferrals and or to get more insight as we go along. Like we're adjudicating almost all of these loans and our our team is working with our borrowers so you know we're we're very confident with uh the individuals in that deferral and usri has already um listed out a number of options that those borrowers would have yeah i mean what I'm saying is i think i just i granted it's, it would be an extreme example and, and yes i mean i know that you've given the deferrals for only for a couple of months but you know looking at the banks that are done six months was if you had again a, a situation where you had a, a borrower that um, you know may not or would likely be delinquent if you kept them to six months, um, you know even if you were to do all these different modifications, where of like that, it's still not going to solve it. And if they and if you could not convince them to sell their home, um, my question was like, would you look to take action earlier than that, or is there something you know other factors that? You would still be willing to extend for the full six months that other lenders yeah. have granted. Yeah. it's so, trying to understand.
2: Yeah, no, I, I think I understand your question better and if I, if I don't, Jeff tell me, but no, so after two months before before after two after about a month, we start talking to them again, and it's like an underwriting process for deferral. If, if we feel the situation is it is temporary, there's good solutions coming out the other end, we'll approve them for deferral. If we don't, then it goes into the arrears like any other mortgage that having that's having difficulty. So after two months, if we we will re um for lack of a better word, underwrite them. We will relook at the file and extend up to two months and/or all these various options I've already talked about. And then again at the end of two months, we'll do it again to a maximum of six. And then at that point it would be, you know, going through, but if we, to answer your question specifically, if we felt someone had no opportunity, we wouldn't approve them for a deferral and they begin in the process of being in arrears.
4: Got it. Okay. That's, that's what I was getting at. Okay. And then just my other question was just on uh, accelerator. Uh, it was, you know, higher than what you've kind of normally done. Um, how, how to think about what that profile might look like over the next couple of quarters.
2: So, Accelerator is something we've been working on for quite a long time to put us in the position that we are uh, today. As you know, Jeff, Accelerator doesn't really make sense to put on balance sheet, given the NIM spread. It's more an off-balance sheet securitization. So, our Treasury team has worked hard to to put in place opportunities for us to do Accelerator mortgages and get them off balance sheet. So, I think it's now going to be programmatic for us. We will continue to be in this um, uh, space. It will probably never outshine our classic, which is our bread and butter, but we, we expect to be more competitive, more like more as we have done in the past quarter, as opposed to the way we looked uh, a year ago in the accelerated market.
4: Got it. Perfect. Thank
2: you.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to remind everyone, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypads. Your next question comes from Rossi
6: Bunji from TD. Uh, yeah, it's great writing here. But uh, just on that, um, when you adjust a borrower's payment, in a, in a situation like that, does that still qualify as a, a deferral situation or does that move into, you know, how do you group that or, or treat that mortgage? Is it treated as impaired at all or how do you treat it in, in your reporting or your uh, – Managing the book. Yeah, so,
2: uh, hi, Graham. Uh, if you, um, the way you adjust the payment is you can uh, change the um, amortization um, or you can go to, you know, uh, biweekly versus monthly if that helps. So if you change the amortization and recalculate the payment and they're making payments, they're not in arrears. They may have capitalized what they've deferred so far, one or two or three months, or they may have paid back. And then resume from there every situation is slightly different if you recalculate the payment based on moving amortization and they um, don't pay or don't partially pay then it looks like an arrears it's no longer a deferral got it okay
6: that makes sense and then uh, on the credit credit side um, i just want to confirm that you did um, make some changes to your sort of macro assumptions that go into your credit model and did those uh deteriorate somewhat from what what was in your credit model as of q120
2: sorry graham Uh, i i'm not sure i fully understand did we change
6: our underwriting guidelines is that what you mean no 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 in your credit in your view of uh uh forecasting credit losses and whatnot the macro assumptions that you use around unemployment rate and house prices and gdp did, did those decline Relative to what you had assumed as of Q 120. Okay, I think Brad is best to answer that.
4: Uh, Yeah, sure, Graham. Yeah, so if you we've we've got our um, scenarios for base upside and downside um, and from March 31st to June 30th, the um, average uh, unemployment rate had increased and the HPI housing price index declines moderated Uh, Our models uh, have a bigger uh, effect on uh, the average unemployment rate drives the probability of default. So, any increases in average unemployment rate tend to offset uh, mitigation in house price declines. So, for example, our base case at March 31st had an unemployment rate, average unemployment rate of 8.62. At June 30th, that was 10.07. And similarly for the HPI, uh, the base was a decline of 8.16 percent, and at June 30th it was 5.48 percent.
6: But the unemployment was uh, had more of a more of a yes. uh, influence than the house price.
3: That that's correct.
6: And did did I um, it looked like your the changes in your macro assumptions. It actually led to a decline in your residential PCLs, but an increase in your commercial PCLs. Did I interpret that correctly?
4: Uh, we were actually um, up in, in single-family commercial and, and other consumer. We had
3: a small recovery in credit card. Okay. Okay. Um, uh,
6: okay, and then just my last question, just on oaken um the new originations that you brought in through the oaken channel in the quarter were those all digitally sourced uh given your branches were shut down and, and when when do you expect the branches to reopen
2: uh, Yes, they were digitally sourced because we were um uh shut down we shut down the branches immediately. Uh, we're following the protocols of each city and our own guidelines um, in terms of when we will reopen. Uh, it's probably over the next few weeks, but no certainty on that until everything
3: has been uh, cleared. Okay, great. That's it for me. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Stephen Boland from RJ.
7: Uh, morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> Usury, Brad, I'm not sure who's the best to answer this, but I guess I'm I'm trying to understand, um, Usury in your opening remarks that you you mentioned that, I can't remember it was, the Toronto Housing Board or or whoever said that, you know, there's an expectation that housing prices would decline. Um, So, for those people on deferrals, uh, you also mentioned that, you know, you're factoring the loan to value and if they're at 60% or 70%. um, then you may give them some leeway. So, how do you, how do you balance that? You know, the thought of, of declining housing prices and your margin on the loan to value declining. Is there a point where you say at 80% we're going to foreclose, uh, regardless of, of you know, what is happening? Like, is, is that going to be a big
2: factor in terms of when you take further action against some of these homeowners? Uh, good to talk to you again, Steve. I haven't talked to you in a while. Um, so what I was referring to is there's a lot of um, various uh, people predicting uh, real estate decline, such as CMHC. CMHC has been quite public about what they believe are going to be the dec- decline in, in values over the next year, year and a half. But that hasn't happened yet. Uh, I, I, so far, there have been increases in values um, in, in GTA and GVA, the market has been exceptionally hot. And I, and I refer in the script, the Toronto real estate board numbers for the month of July are the highest they've been in the last 10 years. When you compare the last 10 Julys, you know, so, uh, by a lot, by almost a thousand more sales. So it hasn't happened yet. So we are actually going the other way. So somebody who's loaned to value 62%, it's maybe coming down based on what's going on, uh, right now. But, uh, Having said that, we don't know if they're going to be right in the future or not. So the way we look at it is, we know approximately our cost if we have to go and and um, sell that home. We know approximately what it will take. We factor that in, and then we see if there's uh, lots of room or enough room for for movement in the LTV. So at 62% on average, there's plenty of room, you know, for the uh, for the uh, for us before we take a dollar of loss. Quite quite a bit of room, and. The provisions as they stand, based on IFRS 9, as, uh, as we've discussed, are all about forward-looking. We're not experiencing anything bad in our current portfolio more than normal. Two basis points of loss is about normal for the last few years. It is all about forward-looking, and as Brad mentioned, the unemployment that's expected, the HPI that's expected, which looks at every single loan. But it would take a you know, substantial decline in the values and a substantial amount of default before we actually used all that allowance. But accounting is accounting, and we're sticking to it and keeping conservative all the way through. I always like to check if I answered your question because I digress a little bit. But uh, did I answer your question on the on the first part?
7: Yeah, I mean, I I, it, I think, uh, yeah, I think you did. In terms of, I mean, is it your view then, like that that housing prices will uh, continue to be steady, uh, up or down? I mean, is what's your view as opposed to some of the you know the sources? Yeah.
2: That's so hard to answer, um, Steve. I don't have that crystal ball, and, but what, what, I, what I do know is that we are uh, prepared for a decline. That's what all these allowances are, are doing. They've prepared for a decline and we're ready for it with, with high unemployment. Um, but there are so many factors that I just can't put together. Is there gonna be a second wave? Or is unemployment gonna spike? Is the market going to you know, shut down again? I, I can't, I'm not an economist to kind of add all these in, but all we do is, as we always say, is we look at one deal at a time. The market's been very hot. We have been done much more prudent underwriting in this hot market and are, are very comfortable with what we're doing and um, can withstand uh, a lot of variation in the future. We, we've, we've got a very strong balance sheet now to withstand that now and for a long time.
5: Okay, that's all,
3: that's all I had, Yusri. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. You.
1: you have a follow-up question from Chen 2K from Stevel.
5: Oh, hi guys. Uh, just uh, a couple of quick follow-ups from me, Yusri, Do you have a sense at all of, you know, given the strong origination volume that you just spoke about, do you have a sense at all if there is if you're seeing increased demand for single-family um, homes versus suburban? caused by COVID? I mean, are we seeing some of this increase, whether it's on the hush pricing level or, or overall activity level? Do you have any sense at all whether or not, you know, COVID is is leading to a structural change in demand, you know, flow from urban to suburban, how your views on um, that would support um, the outlook for house prices?
2: Yeah, so, uh, we're hearing from realtors and brokers of some activity uh, in that regard. I, I don't think it's significant enough to declare a shift, but there are people um, who are saying, you know, I'm going to work from home for a long time and or for the rest of my career. That's all I want. So I don't need to be in a 400 square foot condo in downtown Toronto. I'll go move where I can get some green and St. Catharines or Ancaster, you know, somewhere further up. So we're hearing some of that. Um, and, and I, You know, I think more of it will happen, whether it becomes significant yet,
3: uh, it's too early to say. Are you there, Shem? Oh, yeah, sorry. That's – I was on mute there. Um, uh,
5: Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on that. I didn't have any other follow-up questions. Thanks. Yeah, thanks.
1: And I show no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back to Ms. McRae for any closing remarks.
0: Well, thank you all for attending our conference call today. And if you have any follow-up questions, you can contact or email Investor Relations. Thanks again. Be well and have a good day.
1: second quarter financial results conference call. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect at this time.
0: Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.